demand for energy is growing, and so is the need for American oil and natural gas. It's time to turn the lights on. America's resources are abundant. Our nation is a global leader in reducing emissions and innovators in delivering more energy sources to secure our future. Nine in ten Americans agree. American oil and natural gas are vital to our economy. Visit lightsonenergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by API. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 332. You know what we have coming up? What? We have NAEP coming up. Yes, we do. And if you don't know what NAEP is, shame on you. It's North American Prospect Expo. It's one of our favorite conferences of the year. And as usual, we'll be there at our podcast pavilion, booth number 4453. So when you walk in, bust a right. Yep. We're, all the OGGN team will be there recording podcasts Wednesday and Thursday. We're inviting other podcasters. We'll probably be hungover. <laughs> yeah. To come join us and record. If you are a podcaster that has anything to do with energy, mineral rights, crypto mining, literally almost anything, and you'd like to join us for free, reach out to me personally. I will get you a free press pass so that you can come join us at the conference for zero cost for free. You can come to our booth, use our equipment. We're going to have two simultaneous podcasting tables set up, one audio only, one audio and video. Always a blast. Great fun. If you're coming as an exhibitor and you'd like some free exposure on one of the podcasts, come swing by in our booth. Once again, it's 4453. Who's ever there, ask if there's a spot, a guest spot, and we'll be happy to get you one of our podcasts or somebody else's podcast that makes sense. And it looks like we got a review. And of course, it's from Ludwig, as always. Five-star review, must listen. The show is a must-listen, talking common sense energy, taking on what's happening. If you are not working in the oil and gas sector, it keeps you up with the European energy crisis. This show offers insights on how to solve all quickly. The show is a must-listen. Just stay tuned of what's happening in the energy world, eye-opening, and show EV, and that politically motivated energy move can't go without the oil and gas industry. <laughs> Thank you, Ludwig. And which, by the way, I think Ludwig is still looking for a girlfriend. Everybody out there is looking. We're not hooking people up, bro. <laughs> I said that. Do you know how many people have has reached out and said they would like us to start some type of dating community for people that are pro-oil and gas? Because if you're pro-oil and gas, makes sense. it's sometimes hard to find somebody that agrees with you about that. Yeah. We have no plans of doing that, by the way. But I do think it's cool that people have reached out and asked us to do that. I think it'd be funny if Audrey hosted that show. <laughs> and maybe Audrey would find a boyfriend on that show. <laughs> I say that because she's sitting on the floor watching us. Trying to keep our ferocious watchdog quiet. Yeah. And so. so far, she's doing a decent job. My dog has an issue with if you have a can, doesn't matter what it is, he would like you to give it to him. He's kind of going after her, Dr. Pepper. He's begging, basically, for begging, Dr. Pepper. Begging, begging. All right, let's get into the news stories. First up, we've got Biden-Harris administration announces proposed rule to reduce wasteful methane emissions from the oil and gas sector to drive innovation and protect communities. And I want to give a big shout out to our buddies at Waukesha. Yeah. Engines. Enio. 
NEO, right? If you listen to our last episode, I believe we actually recorded live from their sales kickoff. This article came directly from Sheila and our buddy Chris out there. It's a really good detailed article on our current political administration in the White House is actually laying an additional set of rules to control emissions. You've heard me say this a hundred times. We no longer need additional rules to control emissions. The market itself is driving, getting rid of flaring and dumping that in the atmosphere and actually keeping the methane in the pipe so that we can make money at it. This is a very detailed article on how these different rules and regulations are actually adding cost to oil and gas operations. Right. Now, one of the interesting thing is, and this is not a plug for uh, Wakasaw, but if you look at what they do, and if you look at some of the engines they develop that run on well gas, they actually can reduce the methane emissions just by running their engines. So once again, not a plug for them, but it is interesting to see that they actually address this with some of the hardware they build themselves. Great article. Links in the show notes. Go check it out. All right, so next up, we have Shell to exit Nigeria's troubled onshore oil after nearly a century. You know what happened? What happened? For over 100 years, that princess you uh-huh. know, in Nigeria. Oh, the one that wants to send me money? Has been trying to get <laughs> Shell to do this. <laughs> And by the way, if you are legitimately a princess in Nigeria, I'm joking. This is a joke in the U.S. and Europe. It's a scam. The email scam's been around for a long time. What is Shell doing? Shell is basically saying, you know what? It's a pain in the butt to do business here on land. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to sell our assets, our onshore assets, and then take that money and go to other parts of the world that are easier to Mm -hmm. produce, that are safer with less corruption. This is a warning. You've heard me say this about the U.S., that our current political administration has made it harder and harder to do business in the oil and gas space in the U.S. Companies are moving out. This is a perfect example of how other countries do the same thing. And the companies that are doing business there go, you know what? It's no longer worth it, which then they lose all the jobs. They lose all that investment and infrastructure. I also don't believe this will be the last major that pulls out of uh, Nigeria, especially for onshore. The Nigerian government, between the corruption, the lawsuits, a lot of stuff that's going on, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Even the joint ventures in Nigeria don't make sense onshore anymore. Offshore, it's still at good risk. But if you're listening, I do happen to know we have a huge listening audience in Nigeria. If you're listening, we need to get a handle, or not we, but you need to get a handle on the corruption in your government. You also need to get a handle on all the different lawsuits that are so easily thrown around because you're driving the key part of your economy out of your country. And like I said, I expect other majors, super majors to also pull out in the next year or so, just because it doesn't make fiscal sense to stay there. We'll keep an eye on this because what I'm hoping is that the government reverses some of the stuff that's going on Uh and they can attract some of this investment back. Yeah. Yeah. That would be best. Okay. So the next one is Cape of Good Hope becomes a new route for LNG carriers. You know what's cool about this? You and I, the other day, were talking about this because they renamed that area off the tip of South America. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What and was it? I can't it? remember what it's called. Ah. There's a passage. And it's, called, it's not called the Cape of Good Hope, although it's still the same area. Short version. All the stuff that's going on in the Red Sea, it's causing the LNG tankers to reroute through probably the worst seas in the world. Having mariners out there, let me know if I'm right about that. But the Cape of Good Hope, which is in between the tip of South America and Antarctica, is known for having tremendous weather, horrible weather, huge waves, cold temperatures, unpredictability winds. If it's so bad in the Red Sea that they're taking this chance to bring the LNG tankers through the Cape of Good Hope, because that's the only way it makes sense to actually get that product to market, that is crazy. I expect this to continue to happen 
Now, when you start doing this sort of thing, a couple of things happen. Unlike crude, which the same amount of crude you load into a vessel is the same amount that you offload when you get to your delivery, LNG, because it's so cold and it's a liquid, actually evaporates. The longer you take to get an LNG tanker to market, the less LNG you have left to sell on that tanker. So that's going to drive down supply, which is going to drive up prices. And it's taken longer to get it to market, which is also it's called the drive- Drake Passage. Drake Passage. Very good. Oh, you Googled it. I thought you Well, yeah, it. no. I'm like, I have a small computer right in front of me. Why would I not use that? So anyway, this is not good. I'm really worried about the safety for these crews on these tankers going around the Cape of Good Hope. But all this is because of the escalations of the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. Let's hope that the U.S. and the U.K. hurry up and get some law and order in the Red Sea so these tankers don't have to make this perilous journey. Tell you what, they're messing with the wrong people. Okay, so the next one we've got is Norway to boost oil and gas exploration. They need it. (laughs) Europe needs it. (laughs) And we need to make sure that now that Russia doesn't have a chokehold on Europe, that that energy and those hydrocarbons come from somewhere else. Interesting thing about the North Sea, this is some very old reservoirs. We've understood the science on how to get hydrocarbons out of the ground economically, environmentally responsibly for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Norway and a lot of Europe is catching a lot of flack for their investment in exploration reduction in North Sea by the anti-oil and gas activists. However, the anti-oil and gas activists go home and their house is warm, they have food on the table, and they have mm-hmm. their orange vests, all which comes from hydrocarbons. So take that, just stop oil. <laughs> so this is good. The good Norway's doing this. Uh, last year, Norway's oil gas production was actually lower, a little bit lower than expected. They have some issues with some of their older fields, and they had some maintenance that was unplanned. The fact they're investing money back in the North Sea, I think, is awesome. Now, the problem with investing money right now is that because there's more activity and the Norwegian currency is getting weaker, it's increasing the cost. So basically, right. just like we're dealing with inflation here, they're dealing with the same thing there. But this is needed to be done. I believe Norway presently has about 25 or 30 projects under development, which is a lot, a lot more than they've done in a long term, long time. Over the short term, these fields will come online relatively soon because they're picking the fields that they can bring online the quickest. And that will offset some of the decline from some of these older fields. But that shelf, that Norwegian shelf, is going to continue to play an extremely important role for energy security in Europe now and in the future. Politically, it's interesting to watch what's going on over there because Norwegian Wealth Fund, Sovereign Fund, which is basically a huge savings account that Norway has for its people and its country, has made almost all its money from hydrocarbons. And yet they have a political group that's trying to get them to divest away from that, which is where the money comes from that pays for everything. This new activity is actually just dump more money into their sovereign wealth fund, which is good for the citizens of Norway. Uh, Their ability to bring more hydrocarbons online, more energy is good for Europe. So this is all good stuff. Stuff will be interesting to see when this activity tapers down. I honestly don't think it's going to taper down for five or six years. At the same time, you're starting to see a lot of decommissioning work pick up in the North Sea yeah. in these old fields. Mm-hmm. So if you're in that world of working in the North Sea, this should be really good times for you. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, OPEC chief says oil demand will defy predictions of a peak. Yep, I agree. This is Secretary General Hotham Gaius is saying that basically a lot of people are predicting peak oil demand. Let's talk through this a little bit. For a very long time, especially when I was younger in the 70s and 80s, a lot of experts talked about peak oil supply. And that all started with a scientist in Shell in the late 40s, early 50s named Hubbard, who did the math and figured out when we were going to run out of oil. And he was wrong. He figured we'd run out in the 80s and that after the 80s, we'd have less and less hydrocarbons to tap into. He did really good work. He just didn't have the data and resources we have now. So the data they used to make that 
hypothesis was not the complete package. We now know that we will never run out of oil. Hydrocarbons are still being made in our world's oceans, not at the same rate as the Jurassic Pleistocene era, but it's still being made, which means that hydrocarbons are 100% renewable. People hate when I say that, but I'm sorry. It fits the definition. It's true. So the next thing that people are predicting is when will mankind use the most amount of oil? And the day after that, the amount of oil that we use will start going down. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are predicting because of electrification of the fleet, because of electric cars, that peak oil demand will happen around 2030, 2035. Here's the OPEC's top official saying, nope, that's not going to happen. I agree 100%. Well, that's a first. Are you agreeing with OPEC? Sometimes I do agree with it. You got to remember, even though it's a cartel and they are trying to gain the market, they have to have scientists and they have to have people that do research that are critical thinkers. So even though I don't agree with them and I'm hoping that they disband. Well, I mean, it's just been a hot minute since <laughs> yeah. you have. They do have some experts there. And I agree. Peak oil demand, it's not going to happen in the next 150, 200, maybe 300 years. Peak oil demand will happen when peak people happen. So when our population is slowing down and that trend will continue, at some point we will have the most people, which would be around 10 billion people on this planet. And the next day we'll have 9 billion, 900 million, 999,000, we'll have less people. And that trend will then continue. And each year after we have less and less people, that's when peak oil demand will happen. We have peak people. It is a few hundred years out there. So uh, if you're in the oil and gas industry and you're worried about the future, it's going to be here for the next several hundred years. And if you manage to live that long, or if your children are in the industry, when the peak oil demand starts to happen, the jobs will still be there. We will always use hydrocarbons. We'll just use a little bit less of them than we did the year before. All right. Talus to acquire Quarter North for $1.3 billion ad GOM production. You know these companies, don't you? I do because my dad works for Quarter North. Yep. This is part of the M&A activity that we predicted last year for this year. It's a natural progression. This is great. Talus, by making this acquisition, will pick up about 30,000 barrels of oil or equivalent in production. A lot of the resources that this combined company has is going to be expanded. It's going to give the new company much more reach, much more scope. It's going to allow them to grow into areas and start production areas that the individual companies by themselves could not do. It's going to add assets to the new company. It's going to add a bunch of proven barrels of reserve. So this is all good stuff. Now, of course, the shared employees that are not directly on the front lines, things like HR and legal and stuff, unfortunately, will be some layoffs there. However, I fully expect that once this company has settled in, that the companies actually start hiring. There's a shortage of especially skilled labor. Right. This is good for everybody. And it's also good for the employees. I wish I had stock. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but I wish I did. So this is just good for everybody. And the fact that your dad's involved in this means that it's going to be an A-plus operation. Don't have to worry about any deep water operations while he's on the rig. Right. Yeah. Okay, so next up is Plaquemine Port and APM Terminals unveil strategic partnership to develop a major container terminal. Hey, Texas, we're getting ready to be one-upped. How are we letting this happen? So this is going to be a semi-deep water port for containers. And we've all seen the ships on TV with hauls, everything that makes modern life possible all around the world, especially from China to here in Europe. The ships are enormous, and they have all those sea cans, those 40-foot containers that are full of everything from dish soap to dresses to spark plugs to whatever the world needs. 
when you make your Amazon order, a lot of times that's how your Amazon order actually gets here. So this new port, which has been championed by the Louisiana governor, Jeff Landry, is going to be a world leader terminal operation. So think about it, Paige. It's going to be a new port, semi-deep water, which means it has to have all new equipment, all new cranes, all new roads, all new infrastructure, which is going to make it extremely efficient, which means it's going to be able to compete with the container ports here in Texas and in California and also in Florida. I love the idea that Louisiana is doing this. I love the fact it's going to be actually in Plaquemines Parish, which is not the wealthiest parish in no. Louisiana. So the jobs. More jobs. Be, yep. Prosperity. It's going to be welcomed. It's going to be the initial phase. It'll be 200 acres. They're bringing in rail. They're going to have the ability to handle the largest ships now in the Panama Canal, which is 14,000 TEU. You want to guess what TEU stands? No. <laughs> I don't want to guess. Just tell 20 me. 20-foot equivalent. Only in maritime and oil and gas do we have these weird acronyms. Basically, a TEU is a measure of volume of 20-foot long containers. Oh, there's no way I would have guessed that. <laughs> I know. I know. Nobody knows this yeah. unless you're in that space. The only reason I know what it means is at one point I was looking at building a container home and that's where I ran across that. Oh, so yeah, 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 yeah. So don't think I'm it that, sounds like an energy company. To it be does actually. So don't think I'm that smart. It's just something I ran across in the past. Anyway, so this port is the executive director of the Plaquemines port is in the process right now of they're putting bids out. This is going to be called the Louisiana Gateway Port. It's going to be very strategic for the economy in the state of Louisiana. If you think about the ports in Louisiana right now, they're in New Orleans. Yeah, That's exactly. the closest deep water port. And then you move up the Mississippi River to Baton Rouge. It's not really deep water anymore. Yeah. They can get big containers. Right, right. But it's really about export. It's really about bringing stuff down the Mississippi River and then hitting these two ports and exporting stuff around the world. What's going to happen now is by the state of Louisiana doing this for the container ships, the state of Louisiana is going to be a hub. I keep saying we because I'm from there, but I'm a Texan, everybody. Even though well, I'm from you know you well, you've been here just as long, right? Yeah. No, you've only been here, what, like 15 years? I've been here longer than you have. Uh, this We're going to tangent here. So I have been here. I've been here since 97. 19 in March. So it means I've been here for 18 years. I've been here since 97. So do the math. All right. On to the next. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish this article. Then we can do the math. So what's going to happen is this port in Louisiana is now going to become a hub. They're going to make money on stuff being delivered to be exported, and they're going to make money on stuff imported to be dispersed throughout the country. This is genius by the state of Louisiana. This is genius by Jeff Landry. Texas already has some deep water ports, some container ports. It is interesting that this is being built in that part of Louisiana because it's going to be a lot of construction, but it looks like the local communities in Plaquemine Parish are all over this. And only because I'm from there can I say this. All you people in Plaquemines Parish, the white boots, it gives you away. When I see you in the white boots, I know. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> or Fushaw. <laughs> or Fushaw. Okay, so let's move to Thailand. Thailand orders traders to suspend diesel exports. So this is a perfect example of what happened in the U.S. right after the pandemic on a much smaller scale. So the country of Thailand is very small compared to the U.S., one of their few refineries uh, went down, unplanned maintenance, and that refinery, guess what it made? Diesel. Diesel. And now there's not enough diesel in Thailand. So now the government has stepped in and suspended all exports, trying to keep enough diesel in the country to run. I mean, that's pretty fair. Yeah. No, it is. To run over-the-road trucking, farm equipment, construction equipment, all that sort of stuff. The refinery went down, and the only reason I can pronounce this is because I love the hot sauce is in Shiracha. 
Sriracha. Yep. Thailand. So they lost 275 barrels per day of diesel capacity. Now I'm hungry. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> anyway, the government has ordered the all traders to suspend any export of diesel until the refinery comes back up online. They do have a diesel reserve, which is good. So they're able to mitigate the price jump that should have happened when this happened. But if they don't get the refinery back up online in about another week, prices will go up dramatically once that diesel reserve has been tapped out. Keep an eye on this. It's just, like I said, it's a micro example of exactly what happened post-pandemic in the U.S. when our refineries were offline and couldn't meet the demand that came back quicker than everybody expected. Mm-hmm. Okay. Greek ship owner seeks U.S. government help with the tanker seized by Iran. This should be a TikTok video. <laughs> if you read through this, some of this sounds familiar. Let me break this article down. Remember when the U.S. seized the tanker, I think it was last April, carrying Iranian oil? Yeah. This is the same tanker. Are you serious? Yes. We seized it first. They made them offload the illegal black market oil. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then somebody bought the tanker, renamed it, and now it's a Greek tanker, although it wasn't built in Greek. And now Iran has seized it, which is who we seized it from originally. It's like, I don't know what you would call a game of seasoned tankers. I don't know, but it just kind of sounds like they redressed (laughs) the ship. It's like in a disguise, so they would know what it is by renaming it. Yep. So now this tanker, which is now the St. Nikolai, because it's Greek, was seized. Iran seized the tanker, was carrying Iraqi crew destined for Turkey. This move was in retaliation, I'm convinced, of us <laughs> seizing this exact same tanker. <laughs> like, if you can do it, we can do it. The Department of Justice had no comment. Of course, they don't. Of course. The Pentagon made a comment about the Iranian forces unlawfully boarded this tanker in the Gulf of Amman and forced it to change course. The White House condemned the seizure. What the White House should have done is sent an ultimatum and said, hey, you got five minutes to give the Greek people this tanker back mm-hmm. or we're going to light you up. Mm. Current administration did not do that. So now this tanker is in basically hands that should not have this tanker. What they're going to do with it, I don't know. I suspect that this tanker may find its way into the Russian ghost fleet to start moving Russian crude around the world. Oh, what a good connection. That's why I think we should lit them up. Obviously, they didn't ask me my opinion on this. So, While Joe was sleeping. (laughs) So we'll keep an eye on this. This may have deeper implications than people see from the surface. All right. Next up, we got protesters in Libya threatened to shut down oil and gas facilities. For all my fellow devil dogs. To the shores of Tripoli. So this actually happened in Tripoli, which if you don't what I just rattled off, you have to be. No, even I know that. (laughs) So this is the Corruption Eradication Movement is the name of this group that is protesting Libya. They put a video online that said they would stop the pumping of the gas from the Mataya complex, which is basically a joint venture between the Libyan National Oils Company and Italy's uh, any. Because they're threatening to shut things down, the protesters are demanding a bunch of stuff. They want different leaders in place. They want basically money, some other things, job opportunities. Because their threat was there, the authorities there are doing what they should do, which is they've rolled the military in to guard the assets and to guard the people. They're trying to make sure that this protest doesn't turn to much wider civil disobedience. Think rioting. And you never want rioting mixed with anything that's carrying hydrocarbons. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. This is a part of the world that traditionally doesn't put up with protesters. Typically, if you protest, you're dead Mm. or you're in jail. And people don't like to talk about that, but that's the truth. What's happened is the government has gotten to the point now where they don't quite have the power anymore to enforce that. Really going to keep an eye on this. This is one of those little things that seems like it's no big deal. A fringe group protesting a field and oil and gas production in a country that really doesn't catch a lot of attention. But 
because this group is organized, this has the potential to maybe blow up to something bigger, yeah. especially while the government is weak and underpowered right now. So we're right. going to keep an eye on this. All right. This one's a good one. Prairie to acquire DJ Basin assets of $94.5 million. Our buddy Ed at Prairie kicking Dude, butt taking Dude, I'm telling you. They're yeah. killing it. Yep. So uh, Prairie's pick up these assets in Nickel Road Operations in the Denver area, the DJ Basin, for a cool $94.5 million. That's with an M, million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's $83 million in cash. The last time I tried to pull $83 million in cash out of the ATM, I had issues. But anyway, $83 million in cash, $11.5 million. I hope it ate your card. <laughs> obviously i didn't really try to pull 83 million dollars clearly anyway prairie's doing this acquisition for a couple of reasons i think one is to appease their shareholders and let their shareholders know they're investing in a company that's going to kick butt take names and make money yeah the reserves are rock solid they've been proven which is prairie's done best this is a strategic move to expand their core operating area i also think they're gonna have a very good rate of return on their drilling operations this just makes total freaking sense prairie by the way is listed on nasdaq you want to invest in them i am not giving you investment advice however they're a rock solid company we know their leadership we like them they're good people and this is just great to see prairie expanding its footprint in the dj basin absolutely all right, last one. TC Energy's Ontario pump storage project moves forward. This is an interesting one to put in here. So if you don't don't know what pump storage is, if you read this, they call it battery technology. And by the actual definition of a battery, it meets the definition, although I think this is very misleading. So this is not electricity stored chemically in a closed container that you can get out by just attaching wires to it, which is what I think a battery is. So what they do here is they take electricity when it's cheap, So think here in Texas during the middle of the day, nobody's home, air conditioners aren't running, and yet our solar and wind is kicking butt. We have a surplus of electricity. We don't know what to do with it. You take that surplus of cheap electricity, use it to pump water on top of a mountain when it's dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. Then when electricity prices go up, you have that water come through a hydroelectric dam, just like a normal reservoir, right? a normal hydroelectric, Mm -hmm. and generate electricity when you can make money at it. They're calling it a battery, but it's really pump storage. Yeah. So the Ontario's Minister of Energy gave the go-ahead and received this project. I like pump storage on paper. I've yet to see it scale outside the lab. So it makes total sense when you look at the engineering specs and the drawings and everything on the computer. It's actually building it in real life in a real location, staffing it, making sure you time it just right when you buy the cheap electricity to pump the water up the hill, and then time it just right when you use that pumped water to come back down to generate electricity to sell on the market. TC Energy is doing this under the Energy Ministry's direction. This is one of the things they're doing to help appease the environmental activists because they think this is very green that can be argued back and forth think about this reservoir that is now being man-made that they're gonna pump water into it before the reservoir was man-made there was a wildlife that lived there that now their life is gonna be disrupted so you could look at this a bunch of different ways i do really like pump storage in the right place this project's moving forward the good thing is this thing is big enough that if we need to figure out how to do this around the world where it makes sense in the market this would be a perfect test for this. And since the government's backing up and TC Energy's board is also really amped up about getting this out, especially from a PR point of view, it's going to move forward rather quickly. We could keep an eye on this. I'm really interested, though, once they get it up and running on what their cost recovery is going to look like. Mm. Right? It's one thing to build something like this to show it off. We've seen that here with different type of solar installations where instead of capturing electricity with film on solar panels, 
they actually take the sunlight and they use mirrors to aim it at a central point to heat up water to generate steam. Yeah, that makes sense. We've actually built a couple of those in the U.S. They don't make fiscal sense. Mm. They work. You can build it. You can generate electricity. But when it has to compete on the open market, it just can't. And I'm a little bit worried that this won't be able to compete on the open market. But we'll keep an eye on it. Okay. That's it. Oh, that was quick. You know what's not quick? What? (laughs) <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes, the everyone. The amount of time that people get immersed in our newsletters. They spend hours and hours. That's not really true, people. We got two newsletters. If it took that long, I would unsubscribe. No, I would. Yeah. Which, by the way, the subscription to our Sunday update is crazy growth. Every time I look at it, I can't believe it's real. We've added a new section. Speaking of Audrey, I think she was in the last one. No, she was in the one before last. One before last? Yeah. Yeah. So we have added a new section. So instead of a help want it, which is what everybody does, and we're not going to do what everybody does, we did the opposite. We're taking people we know. Highlighting them. vet it, that are real and are productive. And heart, and good, good workers. Good workers. And when they're looking for a new gig, we're putting them in the newsletter. So by the way, people, if you're looking for work, reach out to us. And if you make the cut, we'll put you in the Sunday newsletter and help you find a job. Yeah, just email Mark because he needs more emails. No, I can't think of anything <laughs> more powerful that OGGN does is help people find jobs. That and help young kids pick up an education. If you're looking and you need a job, let us know. And if we can help you, we absolutely will. Oh, I actually have someone for you later. So, okay. Yeah. But the only way that works is that each and every one of y'all that are listening, sign up for the Sunday update. So besides everything else that you get, the recipes, the coupons, the behind the scenes look, the commodities data that you get from nowhere else to make your work week better, you now may have the ability to find talent you can't find anywhere else. Weekly rig count page, where are we? The United States is down two at 619. Canada is up 88 at 213. And then internationally, we're down 23 at 955. Yeah, that ground must be like a rock for that rig count to grow that right. fast because be frozen. Just go to LinkedIn and follow our company page. That's where everything that we do is being announced first. Merchandise, a merchandise store is killing it. Speaking of Audrey, I think she managed to convince our marketing team to put, what was it, a full-size sweatshirt with the OGGN? Yeah, and oh, and then I convinced them to put polos in there. Polos, so, and we have our children and infants clothing coming out in about three weeks. Stay tuned for that. Merch is great. Go check it out. It's all high-quality stuff. We don't put cheap stuff out there with our name on it. Speaking of cheap stuff, if you want myself or any of our experts to come speak at your That was corny. <laughs> do a <laughs> keynote. I got a whole bunch of those I'm doing this year. Reach out to us. I'm happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A. You know the drill. The goal is not to stump Paige and I, but if you have questions. Oh, it's easy to stump me. So If you have questions <laughs> to uh, help educate our audience, go to OGN.com. Because I'm just the co-host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You know, this is probably the perfect time to close this thing out. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.